The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to yet another glorious, glorious episode of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is nobody important, so we'll get right into it because she smells like a big Sasquatch um, and probably farts a lot. Tammy, the farting Sasquatch Underwood. Say, Hi, everybody. Say, I pooped my pants. Why would I say that? You probably did. No. Not yet. Your vocal dynamics are sucking no, right I, now. No, because I had to take... I was getting something off my tongue. And I didn't want to do it in the microphone. Oh, is it a pubic hair from work last no, night? No, it was a piece of the jalapeno popper you gave me. Are those bomb? They, yeah. It is a bomb. I, I can only eat half right now, but yeah. <laughs> like, I posted a picture of me making those last night. Uh, right. I can't remember. I think it was just on my personal page. And what happened, I didn't post a picture of the finished product, but they came out pretty bomb diggity. Yeah, you did share. I saw it on your your Facebook thing last night when I was scrolling through, um, so, looking for something, and I was like, "You better say some of them, one of them for me." And well, you I'm, did. I'm telling you, it was pretty cathartic. Um, only because I'm there. You know, nobody was home. Right, right. Jake was at work. It was just me and my dog, and I the said, kitchen and the kitchen, which is where you're usually the happiest. Unless, I do. Unless you're on stage. You're happier in the kitchen. I am. I'm telling you, I'm going to make somebody a great wife someday because you I are. love cooking. Yeah, I mean, you're a good little bitch. I am, and my tits look fabulous. So, <laughs> but they're bigger than mine. No, I'm kidding. They're not. But shake, 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 shake. They're not as booty. perky as mine. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm just saying. My boobs are perky, 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 perky. That's my. That's what my best friend hates <laughs> the most about me. I still want to see her too. No, you will not see them. Come on. No, I won't let you. Should be illegal not to show. I me. won't let her let you. <laughs> Tell her I'll pay her like a hooker. Stop that! I don't even want to have sex with her. It's not I even know. a matter of having sex. I have no interest in banging your best friend. What Thank I want to God. see? No, you just have interest in banging everybody else in my family. I just want to see two inverted nipples. I I've guess. never seen a match set. You stop telling everybody she's got that too. She oh. doesn't want everybody to know. It's it is a national treasure. She does not want the whole world to know. But it's a national treasure. Is what that is. It is the seventh wonder of the world. Yes, because I never. I mean, I was like, "What the fuck?" I've seen one. I've seen a single. I never even saw a single until I never a match set. Yeah, I didn't even know it was a thing. That's fucking just amazing. Yeah, I'm telling you. Okay, so I have never talked to the killer in question for today. Right. But you have. I have. And I'm not even, and I promised him, I said that I would probably discuss, you know, what I could find on his case. I said, and I did tell him, the only thing I'm going to discuss is what I found in the court transcripts. I'm not going to discuss anything he talks to me about because I promised him I wouldn't. We do that with all of our people, mm-hmm. though. Like, seriously. Yeah, like, until they're ready. Yeah, like Todd and I have talked about many things, and uh, and there's things that I don't talk about on the air to anybody else. It's between him and I. That's true. You That's know? true. And it's the same way with, like, Ward and I. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about Ward on the last episode. You know, um, him and I talk about things that I don't tell anybody else. And Monk Steppenwolf and, uh, like, exactly. when I was talking to Dennis Rader, uh, you know, right. there, there's things he told me that I'll never tell. Even, even Patrick Kearney, even though... Patrick, I hope you get this message. I know you're cheating on me, and you that's bastard. why you're not. You bastard! But I'll forgive you. I will. <laughs> I'm waiting for the. I can. I can quote Scott verbatim. I know you're cheating on me, past Patrick. You bastard! But I'll forgive you. Come home to daddy. Come home, Patrick. Come back. Yeah, Patrick, come back. You know I need your loving, Patrick. Come back. See, I told you I could quote him verbatim. <laughs> Miss Patrick, man, that bastard. I know. No, but he shared a lot with you that he didn't tell anybody. I've got things that I will only share with the public. Once he's gone. Once he's passed on. Yes, yes. Prior to that, um, through written correspondence, nobody is getting into no. my Patrick Bolt. No, no, not at all. No. And, you know, and even with, because I talked to Dayton here in Oregon, I don't share things that he talks to me about. And... Because of that reason, because they know, I mean, because they they learn quickly that we won't, that they open up to us more. 
because they, right. you know, there's that trust factor, and you know, because because John, the, when I shortly, because I reached out to John because another friend of ours down there thought he might be dying and wanted to donate his kidneys, and he thought John might be on di- be the inmate on dialysis, and because there were two with the same last name. And he goes, I don't know which one it is. So I sent a message to both of them. And this one actually got back to me. And um, and it wasn't the one, but it was. Well, yeah. is, your, is, is this guy here, is he on death row too? Yes. Okay. I just want to yes. make sure we're all on the same page. Yes. And um, so, but John actually got back to me and turns out he wasn't on dialysis. But I was like, well, you know, if you still want somebody to talk to, I will be happy to, you know, correspond with you and everything. And so we were sending messages back and forth with each other. And then he called me a couple of times and he was very soft spoken and kind of leery about what he would say to me. And it's then it's like yesterday, him and I talked for like an hour and a half. And, you know, because I think we talked three times in a row and then he had to go in for count. And then he called me and we talked for another hour and a half. But he sends me messages all day long because he likes the fact that he can share his thoughts with somebody and they're not all rolling around in his head. You know what I mean? Um, if he winds up at Ione at any time, yeah. please talk to Patrick. Talk to well, Patrick Kearney and tell him, baby, come home. Yeah, come home to daddy. Like, I'm not gay. <laughs> I'm not even, like, I'm not gay at all. However. For Patrick, you are. For Patrick, I so am. Patrick, I will be your bitch. Like, <laughs> just write me. That's all I'm asking. You can be my bubba, Patrick. <laughs> It's only because the letters were so good. They were. He was a very. He's a very intelligent man. Still to this day, as old as he is, he's still very got that intelligence. Yes, and very well spoken. And his his writing mm-hmm. was easy to read. Sharp mind. Like unlike you know uh, uh, Keith Jesperson. Oh my God! You can't read Keith's handwriting. Save your Don't get life. me wrong. I, before you all start thinking that I'm hating on Keith, no. I'm not. Man, Keith and I are still tight. But he knows his handwriting sloppy. <laughs> his handwriting is like watching a kid having a seizure with a crayon. That's exactly what it like. Literally every letter I've gotten, I've had to give it over to Squatch over here and say, man, you need to yeah, interpret. This yeah, because I'm, I'm the Keith whisperer when it comes to reading because my mom has horrible handwriting. I can even read yours to an extent when some people can't read yours. It depends but, if I'm having because I, I, in all seriousness, yeah. I, I do have extensive nerve damage, and so my hands will periodically like jerk and shake. Yeah, and uh, thankfully it's it's most it's my right hand, which is you know that's not my fretting hand I play guitar with. It's my writing hand though, and it makes. But yeah, fucking like all I see with with Keith is it says scribble scribble line line. Then I was like then and then <laughs> scribble 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 rhyme 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 truck scribble scribble line line. Uh, I don't know. And, here, and yeah. here's Squatch going, oh, it says that he was driving down the road and he saw this r- a truck on the side of the road one time. It was and next he pulled to over river. at mile marker this. And yeah. Motherfucker remembers everything. I pulled over on mile marker 95 and the wind was blowing out of the southwest by 5.2 knots. And there was a couple <laughs> leaves of grass that were just kind of blowing And a tumbleweed. And a tumbleweed. I'm pretty sure that tumbleweed's weed's name was Mark. And uh, there was like 52 little pebbles on the ground. And I walked up and what have not. And the kind of tires that he had on his truck were, they were Goodyear's. And uh, <laughs> yeah. this was the size he had. Of, but he, see, Patrick remembered shit like that, too. You know, like no, that's true. extreme yeah. details of his life before prison. So well, he's had a little time to think about it. That's that, <laughs> a little. A little bit of time. A little bit of time. So let's get now. into Mr. John, the call Sasquatch. Cunningham. Yes, he's he's amazing. I mean, like again, he's not his crime. He's not. Um, he's a really nice guy, and he um, his crimes happen. His I say crimes, but it was one incident, but multiple murders in one incident um, in 1992. Um, but uh, I'm going to go through what happened that day and then how he was. Um, apprehended and then I'm going to get into his past because I believe his past ties into our last episode when we read Ward Weaver's article on who's to blame. Okay. So approximately 4 p.m. on June and I'm telling you right now I'm getting this straight from the court transcripts that around 4 p.m. on June 27, 1992 the Ontario Fire Department in California responded to call that of an inactive fire in an office portion of a building 
And there were three homicide victims in a hallway bathroom. Now, the autopsy on the victims revealed that... um, uh, We have an hooked on phonics moment? What's happening? No, no. At an SO... Uh, call it oh the, no I was trying to figure out what SOS meant it's the name of the business and I'll get back to the name because I can't find the name of the business off, off shit hand. on a shingle no it's called um, damn it why do you do that Sur- surplus office sales there we go in Ontario California I knew it, I was like why does it say SOS all the time but now I got it because everybody needs help I need help apparently but you, yeah you from the Yeti doesn't complain. So if I ever say shut up. So if I ever say SOS, it's surplus office sales building. Um, there was an inactive fire in the office portion, and the autopsy, and then and then three homicide victims in the bathroom. There we go. Now an autopsy revealed that one of the employees, Jose Silva, died from two gunshot wounds to his head. Then David Smith, who was the assistant manager, had multiple gunshot wounds to his head and neck. And then another store manager by the name of Wayne Sonke, S-O-N-K-E. I had to look to see if it was Glare, but that's his name. Died from one gunshot wound to his head. Um, They also noticed that some cash had been taken from the register and the petty cash box was gone, which... Determined there was about $1,000 missing, right? Now, the owner of SOS, a guy by the name of Michael Ray, had employed John Cunningham earlier in, like, the mid-'80s and two of his other businesses that he had. And about a month prior to the murders, um, John had called Ray and asked him if he had any work for him. But then Ray had not heard from John for three or four years prior to this. So when, after the phone call before the day of the incident, when um, John just showed up unannounced, um, sometime, uh, I guess he showed up on two different occasions, on June 20th and June 24th of that week, um, and also a couple days before the murders, respectfully, respectively, it was a little odd, you know. I don't see you for three or four years, then all of a sudden you're calling me and you're showing up unexpectedly at my at my business, right? Um. Now, so on the night of the murders, at approximately eight thirty p.m., um, uh, where was I? Oh, here I am. Sorry, that's my problem. Um. <laughs> John called another employee from SOS by the name of Evelyn Erickson at her house and asked her how she was doing. He told her that he was playing some poker with some friends of his um, earlier that day and, you know, just basically chit-chatted. Then he took his girlfriend to the movies and a motel room. Okay? Now... Where they read the Bible, right? That's no, what happens at the hotel no, room. No, no, Is that what you do in the hotel room? You read the Gideon, do you? No, I read the Bible, the Mighty Majestic Mountain Cows. I'm really, uh, right now I'm going through the the, the uh, book of Calrithians. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the and also I like the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew that there was, that was in there somewhere. It had to be a <laughs> moo in there somewhere. <laughs> Is there anything about lactose or milk or anything? No, but I, hay or? But that's exactly why cows can't tap dance. Because they lactose. Because they lactose. Yeah. Anyways, I, I apologize. I, I got a little mixed up here. It was 8.30 p.m. after the murders, not before the murders, because the murders happened in the afternoon. Duh. Tammy brain fart here. Um, anyways, so what, but his girlfriend, Elena Costello, was like, you know, when he took her to the movies and, you know, took her to the motel, she was like, what the hell is going on here? Right. She knew he didn't have steady employment and he was always stressed out because he didn't have enough money for them to like even move into a bigger apartment or pay their rent, let alone, you know, splurge on a hotel room in a movie. Right. That's just being suspicious, man. Sometimes you realize how much you love a chick and you're like, I haven't got very much, but I want to give you a special night. Um, just saying, I'm just saying, sometimes, yeah, fuck, women in goddamn means, why are you doing this? Because I fucking, I found a few bucks and I want to help you out. 
You know, I want to do something nice for you. But no, what do we get? We get suspicious ass freaking women all up in our grill. You know, like, oh, yeah, there's something going on. Are you fucking somebody else? Well, outside of your mom, no. I Put knew. Out there, Greg. I knew I shouldn't have let you keep going with that one. Fuck. Tammy's mom will be here in about a week, by the way. <laughs> I hate you. Joel, call me, Joel. Joel, you have my number. Call her all you want. Her mom's going to be in my bed. Joel, call me. We have plans to make. We have less than seven days to do this. I'm (laughs) I'm, going to clear out that belfry. There ain't going to be no cobwebs left. Oh, God. I'm that plumbing out and lay some pipe. Stop it. Anyways, but um, according to uh, John's girlfriend, she said that, you know, the entire time she knew John, that he was always very distant, you know, just kind of like, very like withdrawn and everything. And he always had difficulty sleeping and there were several, I mean, frequently he would wake up in the middle of the night, just like in cold sweats from bad dreams he was having. And at some point he did borrow her 22 caliber Ruger semi-automatic rifle, but he modified it by sawing off, you know, making it a sawed off shotgun. It, but she did notice that a few days after the day that he took her to the movies and the motel that the rifle was gone. You know, she had she never saw it again. And she did say later that that night while they were at the motel, he was even more withdrawn and he was acting very stressed, very tense, very wrapped up in himself. And I'm quoting what she said there and much more closed mouth. Right. Which is. You sometimes, honestly. That's me all the time. I'm a secret serial killer. Why do you, who, who do you think I have in my basement this week? I know you don't have a basement, so I'm not worrying. Maybe you haven't found my basement. What's the best way to hide a ba- basement? If nobody knows about the outdoors. Well, I know. I see that bucket lid out there. And my Tonto cover that happens to be kind of perched up and blocking some areas. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Just saying, just saying. I'm just saying it's weird. Oh, the, oh, that. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about Tonto cover? You're talking about the canopy thingy? Yeah. Oh. Um, I didn't know no one, what it was. but uh, that, That's from four, four score and like fucking five trucks ago. <laughs> so three days after the incident, um, John called up a former girlfriend, girlfriend of his by the name of Diane Jameson. And she told him that his parole officer had come to her house looking for him. Then later in another conversation she had with them, he told her that he was on the run because someone, perhaps the Mexican mafia, was after him. You can't trust the Mexicans. Um, I know. I was married to one. Then around that same... You know what, Maritza, I love you. Don't let him talk bad like that to you. Uh, Maritza, I'm having you deported. She's going to choke you. <laughs> I'm actually terrified of her because she is so sweet. She's going to murder me one day. She is so quiet and so soft-spoken and so adorable. I love her. <laughs> but then she's my biggest fan, not yours. Yeah, so. but I slept with her. That's why she's my biggest fan. Oh, Jesus. Go on with your fucking story. I hate you. <laughs> you know what? I get a good dig in every once in a while. So around that same time, he also called her upset and crying, saying... Quote, something very terrible had happened. And he wanted to go back and, quote, do the right thing. She told him, you know, if you did something wrong, turn yourself in. So according to her, he had trouble sleeping. Uh, When they were together, he had trouble sleeping and would often wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats. And said he had dreams of being tortured by women and children from his time when he was in Vietnam. I have images of that thinking of being tortured by my exes and my kids because both of them are fucking expensive. Yeah. No. No. Which ex-wife? All of them? Were expensive? Yeah. All oh, of them. did you step away from your mic? I didn't know I did. That. I had to roll back to the trash can. Yeah, all oh. of them. Uh, except for Maritza. Mer- like I said, when Maritza and I got divorced, it was just mutual. We sat down and said, let's just split up what we don't use you know, together, like camping gear and hunting gear went with me because she doesn't camp and she doesn't hunt. Um, Unless she's hunting you. I taught her how to shoot, so she shoots well. Good for her. Yeah. Maritza, call me. She she could knock the dick off of a fucking fly. Is your phone on your desk? Yes. Is it set to vibrate? No. 
Oh, because I keep hearing. Oh, it might be my phone in the window. Never mind. That's my vibrator. Ew, weirdo. Thinking of your mama. Shut up. So, anyways, um, according to this, he did try to seek some counseling at a veteran's center, but um, I don't know how true that is. Then the next, on July 1st, which is the next day, uh, John's girlfriend, you know, Costello, her last, uh, Elena Costello, I think is what her name was. And her dad's name was Abbott, Abbott and Costello. No. <laughs> yeah, Alana, excuse me. Her name is Alana, not Elena. My bad. Al- Alana Costello received a call from John, and he asked her to go with him to Nevada. Now, they met up at the Las Vegas airport, and they traveled by car to Atlantic City, New Jersey, which is clear across the damn United States, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, New Jersey is on yeah, the opposite coast. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Then drove. Then they drove southwest through Arkansas before they started heading north again. Along the way, John would place uh, an Ohio license plate on the car and registered. Whenever they stayed at a motel, he would always give a fake name. Back then, it was easy. You didn't really have to give ID back then. Right. You know, and he never talked about why he had left California. And every time she tried to ask him, he said, I don't want to talk about it. And after seeing how anxious and nervous he was whenever he would pass a cop or a cop pass them, she just automatically assumed that he was running from the law some, for some reason. Then a couple weeks later, on July 23rd, he, they were pulled over in, you'll never guess where, Deadwood, South Dakota. <laughs> and after being advised... After the authorities were advised that he was in that region and he was a he was a he was wanted as a suspect for a murder. Now, he and Costello were both taken into custody and he was arrested for violating parole because remember, he was still on parole at that time. The police officer, the authorities uh, seized the 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle. A box that had 31 cartridges for the long rifle and a magazine loaded with 10 rounds of 22 caliber ammunition. Now, he made statements to law enforcement officials and did a videotape reenactment of his crimes. So for a period of two days, Ontario, California Police Department detectives um, interrogated him a total of four times. With each interrogation, they not only videotaped it, but they also audio taped it. And each time, the recording uh, implements were in plain view of John, so he could see that they were there. It's not like they hid the recorders, right? Um, at the first in- interrogation was on July 24th. Crap, I scrolled it. This scroll mouse doesn't work, and I hate it. Um, the first Interrogation was July 24th, and after six minutes of introductions and questions and everything, um, he was finally read his rights. And then after he confirmed that he said, yeah, I know my rights, the detective proceeded to ask him questions about, you know, his relationship with, you know, both women, as well as his military background and his prior arrest, which was only for robbery. And when they were discussing those topics... John actually recounted working for Michael Ray at a facility in Long Beach in 1979 and going to the SOS company in Ontario in early June to visit the Lady Erickson and to look for a job. However, he also said, and I quote, I know what you guys are getting at. I also want you to know that the reason why I'm so calm is because I'm, I'm where I belong. I know why you're here in my dreams and that's all. When the defendant said, you know, what do you mean by that? He said, you know as well as I do that I committed an armed robbery in Ontario at Mike's company. When they asked him, you know, for more details, he says, I committed an armed robbery. Should I have somebody here talking for me? Is this the way it's supposed to be done? And then the detective again read him his Miranda rights and said, do you understand these? He goes, I do understand. Right. So basically, he's like, yeah, you know, but he's not coming forth and saying that he killed anybody yet, right? Yeah, I wouldn't have even admitted to the armed robbery, like, for real. I like, know, but 
Best yeah. thing you can ever say when you get uh, in with the cops is fucking nothing. Don't say shit. What do you say, Scott? Two things. What do you say? Jack and shit. Jack, Jack and left shit. town. <laughs> so when the cop, when the detective started asking more questions, he would occasionally ramble on something about you know the his what he did on that day. He described how he chose to rob the company, how how the robbery and the murders and even the arson took place, and what he did afterwards he said that he entered the building with the intention to steal money and he tied up the hands of the three people with duct tape then returned to the bathroom later to shoot them and then using gasoline he set the building on fire now these confessions were interspersed with references to his dreams things he claimed to have done during his military service while he was in vietnam and also his repeated expressions of being so grateful that he was finally where he belonged. You know, he was caught. Um, Detectives interrogated him two more times on the afternoon of July 24th and again the next morning. They didn't read him as Miranda writes again after the first time. And he said that he had altered two military uh, personnel forms found in his car because he was looking for work and he wanted his... um, he wanted to look better and cover up for the time he had been incarcerated. He also said that he had ripped off a shipment as a narcotics courier and asked at one point to be placed in protective custody because he didn't. He said if he didn't, it would get a whole lot more complicated, right? Um, uh, hang on. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. The detective also made reference to the victim's family, stating that if the lawyers got involved in a case like that, it would get a lot more complicated. So I believe that the detective tried to talk him out of asking for an attorney. That's what it sounds like to me. And we also know that this is right around the outskirts of the time of the major corruption in the 80s, down in that area. So then on August 2nd, John did a reenactment of the crimes with... Two detectives observed and videotaped. He also was, again, advised of his Miranda rights before the reenactment. And he again said, I understand. And he continued to talk to law enforcement. So in the video of it, he's describing how the day of the murders, he went, you know, to the business shortly afternoon and stayed for about half an hour talking to the three men. Then he left and returned at approximately three he said after three to take all the money so he could leave the state. He said when he re-entered, he had the uh, shortened 22 caliber rifle concealed in a paper bag. Then he ordered the three victims to follow him through the hallway to the front lobby where he forced one of the guys to give him the money from the cash register. When the defendant asked this guy where the rest of the money was, he indicated it was in an office down the hall. So he made all the victims go with him to that location while the guy opened the filing cabinet but didn't remove anything. The John took the keys from him and made the, them all go into the women's restroom where he told them to lie down on the floor. He left all three of them with their hands bound behind them with heavy-duty duct tape. And then he... But he also said that he had only planned the robbery earlier that day, but he had bought the duct tape weeks before. Now, they tried to say that he had premeditated this thing, but how many times do you buy duct tape and use it for something that you never intended it for when you bought it? Like, all the fu- like, dude, seriously, I, I, look at my gearbox. I uh, probably have four dude, or five fucking rolls in there. You do, and masking tape, and gaffer's <laughs> tape, and... Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, well, the, then the, before y'all think I'm a freak, there's a reason because there's like when you're setting up for a show, this yeah. is all shit that you are going to need eventually, eventually. Like somebody be like, gaffer's tape isn't working and it's really sticky, but we need to we need to do this over here. Oh, I got duct tape for that. How about this over here? Well, we don't want to leave a mark. No problem. I've got masking tape for that. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Scott's got tape for tape for tape. He's got tape for his tape for his tape. Sometimes yeah. I put it on my testicles and wax myself. That's disgusting. <laughs> that was disgusting. That's almost like that. You sent me, didn't you send me a meme like that one time that said cut down on your waxing costs or something like that? Use duct tape or something stupid like that? I might have. Honestly, I send out so many dumbass, sh- so much dumbass shit. You do. That you do. I, fucking, that I is, can't that remember. That is not a lie, people. Just remember, boys and girls, one small thing. You ready? 
Sometimes Bigfoot gets confused with Sasquatch. Yeti doesn't complain. <laughs> I, I told you she posted something funny about a Yeti in the group. But um, <laughs> I can't stop laughing over that one. That one was funny. That's a better dad joke than any of yours combined. Minor epic. Typically dumb. But anyways, now he's, like I said, they, so they're trying to say the fact that he purchased the duct tape weeks before he had planned that the robbery weeks in advance. I don't think he did. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think he did. Mm. Now, he, when he took, he, then he took the money from the cash register in the filing cabinet. Then he went back to the bathroom and he shot the three men. Right? I shot the sheriff. Yeah, leave behind no witnesses, basically. Now, he did go and get a can of gasoline out of his car. Then he went back inside to start a fire. But when he re-entered the bathroom, he noticed that two of the guys weren't moving, but one was. And the guy was attempting to, like, loosen his bonds. You know, the tape on him so he could get free. So that's why he was shot, shot multiple times. And then John took the gasoline and, like, poured it all the way down the hall, hallway and then lit it with a match. Well, I got to give him credit for this right here. If that happened, if, it was, if he was going to do that today, he wouldn't have used gasoline. Have you seen the prices? No shit, yo. I just filled my tank yesterday. I shit you not, 130 bucks. Yeah. And I was just below a quarter of a tank. Yeah, exactly. And you got to remember, back in 1992, wasn't it still under a buck? It was still under a buck. That's, I miss. Let's, let's all just, all those, those let's, of us who are Gen Xs, let's no, take a moment of silence, silence to remember <laughs> when we could all really fucking afford gas. Good times. Good times. Amen, brother. Amen. God, preach the, it, brother. Preach it. The things I would do right now for gas that's under Dude. three. Dude, I would give anything for gas under three bucks. I mean, wasn't it? It was almost a dollar cheaper when I was in Iowa because I sent you the photo and you're like, damn, I got to go to Iowa to get gas. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to move to fucking Iowa. I can afford gas out there. No, you don't want to move out to Iowa. Too. I don't know. You would. Corn sharks. The corn sharks, man. They're, they're, they're going to migrate up from Kentucky to Iowa and then I'm going to be out there fishing for corn sharks. Are you going to be out there fishing for corn sharks? I am and sacrificing some people. Some children of the corn, will, they're, they're going to have some things to atone for. Corn sharks will get them. And then we're not talking about Malachi either. We're talking about real crotch goblins out there. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Curtain climbing crotch goblins, god damn it. Yeah. Now, after, this is what I found interesting, but then I had to remember that he was a drug addict too. At the, you know, really high on drugs at the time. Um, but after he, you know, lit the fire and he took the key from inside the front door and left and locked it from outside so it like you know and then he drove he drove down to the overpass and stopped and watched the building burn for a while until the fire truck got there so that one that part i i had a hard time like wrapping my mind around you know what i mean because it was almost like he was a pyromatic pyro pyromatic pyromaniac watching his you know like tool would do mm, tools I meant Otis Tool. Oh. <laughs> you know, Butthead. Yep, the Beavis and Butthead are sure going. But you know what I mean? But I also think at the same time is I almost wonder, too, if he just wanted to make sure that the building didn't burn completely down. You know what I mean? I'd be wanting to roast some marshmallows yeah. and some wieners, but that's me. You're so weird. Okay, now i got to scroll down a little bit. Give me a minute. Sorry. She's going down, boys. She's going no, down. I'm not. Just now, like on Sandy Boulevard. Um, there was a bunch of, like, there was some stuff brought into this case of prior crimes. Now, they're saying that on April 24th, 1976, a lady, and you're going to love this name, by the name of Herta Gill. I heard of her. <laughs> I was thinking that was a real big southern old lady's name. Was, she sounds hot. She was a cashier at the Vineland Drive, uh, at the Vineland Drive in the city of Industry, California. When at 9 p.m. he robbed her at gunpoint, all of the money out of the register, and when he was apprehended a short time at later, while it while when he was apprehended a short time later, he still had his firearm and the stolen cash on him. So he pled guilty to felony robbery and admitted to personally using a handgun. 
So he was sentenced to one year in county jail and placed on probation, right? Then in April of 1982, Michelle I, she was a 14-year-old, was alone at her house in La This You're going to love it, Scott. La Mirada, California. I used to live there. I know you did. I know exactly where that is. That's why I said La Mirada, because I knew you lived there. When he apparently sexually assaulted her, (laughs) she, he was a family friend. He entered the home on the pretense that his car had broken down. But after he like acted like he used the phone, he asked her to give him a blowjob. When she said no, she said that he forced her onto her knees. And when she started screaming, he hit her in the face with a closed fist and threatened further physical violence if she continued to scream and dragged her by her hair to the sofa. When he forced her to perform oral sex on him for approximately 10 minutes before he left, he told her he had killed his ex-wife and her lover and warned her that he would come back and do the same if she told anybody what happened. Now, before you guys start judging him, let me tell you about his past. I mean, I'll get into his past, you know, his younger years in a minute. And um, it doesn't make what he did right. I will never say that because what he did is completely wrong. But um, I want to kind of give you some mitigating factors. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. Because I see you seething. I hear you seething over there. I feel you seething over there. No, it's just gas, and I want another armadillo egg. Oh, you want the rest of mine? Yeah, I'll take okay, that. Okay, here. You have a knife and fork, or do you need one? Oops. Nope, I'm just going to munch on it like a fucking okay. animal. I was going to say, because I, I probably won't eat it right away anyway, so it's all good. Now, what, for that inci- incident, he was convicted of felony forcible oral copulation with a minor and was sentenced to prison time. Then in April of 1987, a 15-year-old girl uh, was living. She was a 15-year-old girl by the name of Samira, was living with her mother and her younger sister in Paramount, California. When John, again a family friend, moved in. I know where that is. I used to live there too. Did you live to live in Paramount too? Yeah, right on Georgia Avenue. Believe it or not. Did you live in City of Industry too? No. Okay, I didn't even know there was a town called City of Industry. Is it an industrial city? Kind of, yeah. It's a okay. shithole. <laughs> I didn't know if it was like an industrial area. Now, according to reports, within two week, two maybe three weeks of her, him moving in, he had started fondling her and kissing her when they were alone. She said that she told him to stop, but he would continue touching her in different parts, areas of her body, her no-no zones. So subsequently, she... He forced her to perform oral sex on her, and she said that apparently he slapped her when she did not perform to his satisfaction. Now, she engaged in, um, apparently she engaged in oral sex with him once or twice a week between April and September of that year, and if she resisted, he got angry and slapped her. Now, apparently John also repeatedly tried to convince her to have sexual intercourse with him, but she said no. And, but then he tried a couple of times and, you know, it didn't work. So he never, like, forcibly raped her, you know. So um, he was convicted of two counts of oral copulation with a minor and sentenced to state prison. Now, there's actually more to that story than what is in the police reports or in the trials transcripts from that original case. Okay. But I'll get into that here in a minute. Now, according to his invest, the investigator for his defense team, um, John's parents were Vivian and Maurice Cunningham, and they got a divorce when he was approximately two years old. Then Vivian actually was married once before that when she was 14, and then after that divorce, she married two more times. Okay? So she's almost... As many times married as you, Scott. I was just thinking, some people call me Maurice. I know, right? Well, and it's important to note, state that um, these guys, uh, that John is of Native American descent. Um, so anyways. So um, sh- I bang a hoe is not a Native descent. I'm just saying. He's part Seminole. 
weirdo. Now, and she apparently also at some point, you know, throughout her life was a prostitute. Now, according to the investigator, his dad, Maurice, also remarried after him and Vivian got a divorce. And as a result, John has two older brothers by the name of Sam and and W.C., which is what they call them, and several half-brothers and sisters and some step-brothers and sisters. At the time of the trial, both of John's parents were were deceased and his brother Sam was already in Huntsville State Prison in Texas. Now Vivian's younger half-sister Carolyn said that Vivian was dishonest all the time. At various times she lied about a brother having died, about being in a car accident, and about her middle son WC being dead. But then she rec- she also said Carolyn also said that one evening when she was in the seventh grade and Vivian and Maurice were living in the same house as the rest of the family, Karen awoke to find Maurice sexually molesting her. So, you know, John's dad was molesting his sister-in-law. Well, wait a minute. Then we see this as the same thing was with Ward Ward Weaver Jr. Exactly. That's what I was saying, that this ties into his case a lot. Ward Weaver Jr.'s dad was a well-known pedophile. And his grandfather. And his grandfather. So it's just goddamn family tradition. Well, and not just that. It got so bad with Ward's family that, and he said this, you know, many times that when the kid, him and his sister didn't even meet his grandfather for that reason, you know? Right. So, um, so then now it's important to notice here. Remember when I said that. She talked about how her middle son, W.C., died. Right. Well, W.C. testified that their mother and father both had problems with alcohol. How can he testify if he's dead? Right? Right. Testifying from beyond the grave. She apparently is a pathological liar. And a hooker. I can. I, I appreciate it. She's going to be up there in age, by the way. What's She's dead, dude. She's dead. Even though that's my dating pool. At the time, by 1992, she was dead. Oh, bummer. Okay. I know. That's your dating pool. You and Alice Cooper. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. I'm not mean, mean to Alice Cooper. He has a song. Um, they can't say no. Oh my God, did you say that out loud? Hey, you know, you know what the best part of my Saturday is when I get to go to the Morgan Crack Cold one? <clears throat> Nothing? No, Bueller? I just choked on my Bueller? Fluid. That was horrible. That was horrible. Now, that was horrible. I'm speechless, and that never happens. So anyways, according to WC, their mother and father both had problems with alcohol. One time, WC says when he, he was under 10 years old, when Vivian got so drunk, she called him into her bedroom and fondled him sexually. When he left, she called in his other two brothers, one by one, right? To have, and he, you know, and her sexual and so wait a minute. Then they're from Arkansas. Oh well, they were from <laughs> no, they're from Florida originally, and then moved to Louisiana. See more fucked up things from Florida, Jendal. <laughs> Y'all you are fucked up. When you and I start start starting each other's sentences, I'm retiring <laughs> because I can't have another friendship like that. It was too bizarre. The first, it's too bizarre with the first friend of mine that I do it with. Um. Oh, anyways, um, ac- according um to WC, her sexual ab- her sexual abuse was recurring. Now Maurice and Jean Collins, a stepfather, also physically abused the boys. One time, there was a violent confrontation with uh, Jean Collins, the stepfather, in which Vivian stabbed him with a fork. Then she left her three sons, ages five, seven, and nine, for several weeks, and they were forced to steal food to survive. Who does that sound like? That is definitely, oh, God, we feature, he's like the first or second Episode or Episode four. Uh, yeah. Uh, Carl Pansram. Yeah, Pansram. I knew you would forget his name because you forget everybody's name. But I'll always remember you, Richard. I, oh, now I'm a dude? Thanks, Scott. Must be the Usually dick. Usually I'm Rhonda or Steffi. Or That's because I secretly want to call you Dick. <laughs> what the fuck ever. 
Now, um, eventually, they were taken out of the home and placed in an orphanage for approximately a year. And this orphanage, I will tell you right now, was a like a halfway house for native that uh, catered to native-born children run by the Catholic Church. Goddamn, that explains why he's out there raping fucking Catholics, man. Well, I was just... Now, they were placed there for about a year. Then they were later flown out to California to live with their father and his second wife, Betty, and her children from a previous marriage. Now, according to W.C., he believed that his father sexually abused his his stepsister. And I don't doubt that if he's molesting his sister-in-law. Amen. The family lays together, stays together. Don't judge. Yeah. Now, W.C., yeah, W.C. says that although his dad never molested him or to the best of his knowledge, his, uh, John or their brother, Sam, but he didn't know for sure. He just knew he wasn't molested by his father. Now, one of John's stepbrothers said that Maurice was a heavy drinker who often became so violent with his mother, Betty, and the children that he also sexually molested him and so often he couldn't count how many times it had occurred once when he was in seventh grade this stepbrother told his mother betty about it and she cried but never did anything to stop it you know which was common back then unfortunately right 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 you know then diana jameson you know his girlfriend that i talked about earlier she said that she got the impression that john from John that his mother was a very promiscuous woman and when he was young she had many men coming in and out of her life and he alluded to the fact that he had been sexually molested by his father but he didn't want to discuss any of that with anybody which is also very common especially if a young boy is molested even to this day there's a lot more shame than if a female is molested. I'm more ashamed that nobody did try to molest me because I keep looking at the picture of me with my first guitar and I was a cute kid. <laughs> the guitar was cute, yeah. Oh, you're a dick. Thanks, Richard. Did your mom ever send you that photo? Or just the screenshot of just it? A, just a screenshot of it. Oh. I was just curious. I thought she was going to send it to you, but I guess... I'm probably going to wait till she kicks off before I get all the good photos. Oh, yeah. Um, Now... It's important to notice here that some or all or some of the sexual abuse that was uh, given in detail by the witnesses that I just talked about was actually either confirmed or even alluded to by John when he was talking with his defense attorneys. Okay, so um, but I will tell you this. I don't ask him about that and I won't. I'll let him talk to me if he feels like it. Because that's just something, you know what I mean? That I don't think he would want to share with a new friend. Does I that dig. make sense? Yeah, I'm picking okay. it. I hear you chirping. Because I know that some people go, well, have you asked him? No, I won't. Um, now, this is what it's important to note, too. Is that um, John was in the Vietnam War. He was in the U.S. Army. And according to... The military files and records, he was court-martialed on various times for being AWOL between May of 69 and March of 70. 69, man. I knew you were going to fucking go there. And in May 1970, he was sent to Vietnam for approximately 11 months where he was got three promotions, ultimately becoming sergeant. And as a result of his service in the Vietnam War, he received several commendations, which is what Ward talked about in that you know thing it's like you you send somebody over there and you're like praising them for killing people and everything and so while he was in vietnam he engaged in reconnaissance missions which is true with his units that would travel through the jungles for periods of five to 14 days to scout material to scout and secure areas that they believed were infiltrated by the Viet Cong or the north vietnamese armies now the units set up clear Claymore mines? What's that? Okay, so Claymore is uh, its plastic explosive inside of a casing. And there's a big thing on the front that says face this way because you don't want to face them backwards. And when somebody trips the wire, they explode. Oh, okay. So like a trip. Okay. I, I, I know what you're saying now because I watch MASH. 
Yeah, they'll uh, <laughs> they'll fuck you up, man. If they don't kill you, they're gonna at least take off a limb. Like so not like a landmine, but one of those tripwire thingies, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, land, land, is land. that what they like in uh, not in Good Morning Vietnam, but in um, Platoon, where they had it across and the guy walked and like never like, hit it and never you've saw never that seen Platoon. But how many movies have you known me to actually watch except for <sighs> things like Corn Shark? My God, how do you not watch Platoon? I don't like Did you watch movies. Full Metal Jacket? Nope. What? Oh my gosh! I don't. I don't even know what to say right now. Those are classics. I don't like watching things about fighting in war. I'm a peaceful man now. Okay, but you weren't always. Now I am. Now I see Zen, Zen. Oh, and Zen and corn sharks, huh? Zen corn sharks and vaginas. Ugh. I told my cousin that you really want one of those donuts that she sells in her shop, and she cracked up laughing. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what she said in a minute because this is kind of serious, and I don't want to take away from that. But apparently, so they set up these claymore mines for mechanical ambushes, and they engaged in several firefights in which enemy troops or sympathizers were killed or captured. Now, at one point, he even operated as a, he even operated in what was re- referred to as a free fire zone, which meant that the soldiers had permission to kill any enemy combatants in that area, and sometimes they would happen upon empty enemy bunkers or mass enemy graves. Other times, it found blood trails left by the enemy dragging their wounded or dead soldiers away from combat scenes. So could you imagine the atrocities he saw over there? If he was on the front lines like that? Why are those atrocities? Just wipe them all out. Well... They're the enemy. But my brain works differently. No, because, I mean... But, again, we're getting to... I mean, and I'm not getting into the politics of it all. But it's still... at a When you're young, it is still... An atrocity. It's still something that you're not used to seeing. It's something you really can't wrap your mind around when it's happening right in front of you. You know? Does that make sense? Is That's how I, I look suppose. at it. I, just, I mean, I'm traumatized when I see another car run into another car and nobody hurt. nobody's hurt. Not but. me. I enjoy the carnage. And here, but here's my thing. It's much like I would think of as somebody breaking into my house. If you, if, if you are there to do me harm, which these people were, they're going to do you harm even though you're in their country. Identify the threat, neutralize the threat. That's it. Well, I, let me take that back. It's identify, um, come up with a good plan, right? You know, adapt and then neutralize. Okay, okay. I kind of get what you're saying. Kind of. I just, I just don't have. You know what I mean? I don't have that military mentality, and I. You know, but I've heard my cousin say pretty much the same thing. So, well, me neither. I'm just a jackhole over here with no. But I'm just saying that my cousin who is in the military, I've heard him say the same thing. Oh, the gay one? He's not gay just because he ate a cock and balls here in Portland. Which, by the way, is a donut at Voodoo Donuts. By the way, I want people to know he didn't just do it. He grabbed the back of his own head. He ate that whole thing in like three bites. He's in the Navy. He's used to that. It's a chocolate covered donut that's cream filled that's shaped like a penis and nutsack. But yeah, I he, I did it. I didn't. I ordered it from thinking he wouldn't eat it. But when I told my aunt who passed away, I said, I said, I can't believe he ate that thing, even though it looked like she goes, Tammy, it was chocolate. Of course he ate it. It was a cock and balls. He pushed his own head down over <laughs> no, it. No, he did it. He, he did held too. it in both hands like a gentleman. And I'm pretty sure that I you're listening. I'm pretty sure that he's <laughs> listening. You have a fucking pole smoker <laughs> being in the Navy. <laughs> I know. I was really mad when he knew the chicken joke. I bet, <laughs> I bet dude, I bet that you really, really, really know a lot about semen. <laughs> Just my oh, guess. God. Oh, hang on. Ow. <laughs> Did I, that hurt you? No, my headphones were digging into my glass, pushing my glass <coughs> arm and my glasses into the side of my head, and it hurt. Okay, so there was also... It was also standard operating procedure over there that if you came upon an enemy village in an uncontrolled area that's not authorized for settlement, they were to evacuate it, evacuate the people from the area and set the buildings on fire. Now, he said that, that no, not he said, but according to the military records, he was uh, treated twice in the medical, received medical attention twice, once from heat exhaustion. And once from a malaria infection. Now, I will tell you this, um, that 19 veterans who served in his recon platoon testified about their daily activities and missions. Some of them 
even said that he was a good soldier, but a loner who kept to himself. Um, some of them didn't specifically remember John, but then three of them, including one who allegedly knew him best, uh, for various reasons, were unable to attend the trial and testify for him. Um, as with most Vietnam vets, most of those who testified, as well as John, suffered from PTSD. They would have flashbacks, severe depression, or any or similar problems as a result of their service over there. They explained they often had problems adjusting to life after they returned home. Um, I do know that um, they, as well as him, complained that they had trouble sleeping. They, and if they did sleep, they had nightmares. They were always hypervigilant and anxious when they were in public. And they also started, would like become very easily startled. Like, it, for instance, if a car backfired or a car door slammed or something like that. However, none of those, and the court's trying to say, but still none of those men committed felonies. Why did John? Well, I know for a fact that John was addicted to opioids. He was, he, well, he was in Vietnam. He got hooked on opium. So when he came back to the U.S., he sought out that in the U.S., which is heroin, right? Correct. So when you're doing drugs like that and you're in that state of mind, you're more prone to committing felonies. Does that make sense? Affirmative. Female. I knew inmate. you were fucking going to go there. I don't even know what to say. Underwood. Now. Whatever. Now, um, uh, just a minute here. I want to go on into this thing. I, I got to find, I had it marked and then I'd lost. Oh, when we were talking about his prior crimes, right? Now, I want to bring up the case of Samira again. Remember, she was that 15-year-old that said, you know, that she, he started kissing and fondling her and tried to have sex with her, Right. Right. Okay. Now, according to her parents, they, um, oh, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. A couple by the name of Daniel and Olivia Negron, N-E-G-R-O-N, were, knew Samira and her mother through church. Now, while John was living with Samira's parents in the home, this couple would attend social functions where they saw Samira sit on John's lap and was very flirtatious with him almost like she was coming on to him, you know, making a pass at him in an inappropriate manner for a 15-year-old. Right. Now, Demery, um, which is Samira's aunt, stayed at the house as well for approximately six months while John was there. And John was sleeping on the sofa, and she noticed how Samira did not shy away from any of the attention she received from John. And... The Demery was concerned about the relationship that John and Samira had, and she and she asked Samira. She goes, "Is anything going on here?" And she became and Samira became very defensive, saying her mother quote was starting to get on her case about the same thing. Now she told her aunt that John was a very nice man and she liked him, and she tried to imply there was something going on between defendant and her between John and her mother not her and John according to Demery Samira was not always truthful though she she uh, although Samira bruised easily as a result of having lupus Demery did not ever recall seeing any bruises on her during the time the defendant was staying there so that doesn't necessarily lend credence to the fact that he physically assaulted her if she didn't perform to his liking you know what I mean? Agreed. So then, according to one of the deputies who interviewed Samir back in October, he said, asked about bruising around her eyes and swelling on the back of her head. And she told him that she was injured in a physical fight she had with her mother. When, he inter- when another deputy interviewed her, she never mentioned that John slapped her. But she did say that she was afraid to tell him no because other men in her mother's life had slapped her if she told them no to when they asked her to do certain things. Then, according to the doctor by the name of Carrie English, who examined her, she also did not tell him that John slapped her. 
although she did indicate that he had twice tried to have sexual intercourse with her, but when she told him it was too painful, he stopped. So um, (coughs) my thing is, is I don't necessarily, because I read, after I read that, I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into with this guy, right? Um, So then after going over these court transcripts, (laughs) what I'm thinking is that those charges back in 97 were kind of bogus. I agree. You know, because if she's got lupus, she's going to bruise easily. Yeah. My my midget ex-wife that just passed away, she had lupus. Yeah. And it's like they brew people with lupus bruise easily. You can really tell when they're being assaulted or they, I mean, they bump into a wall, they get a bruise. Well, I do too, but I don't, you know, (laughs) I'm just anemic. But anyway, so that's what I have on that, on his case anyways. But I do want to, I want to talk about something with you and I, I just want your opinion is that We've talked about the mental health crisis here in the U.S. Yeah, and many times. Horrible. It, I mean, yeah, it is a major crisis. It's starting to get a little better. I will say that it's starting to get a little better, but we still need to make. We need to move mountains because we're still seeing our troops coming home and living on the streets and not getting the mental health help they need and stuff. But do you think that if he would have been offered the mental health treatments when he came back from Vietnam, his it, things would have ended differently? Yeah, I think so, yeah. You know, cause I think that's what I kind of wanted to get at with him because I had a hard time reconciling the person I know now with what I read here and everything that it, to me, they didn't compute. You know what I mean? They were like two different people. Right, I can totally so, see that, yeah. Yeah. So, um... How do I word this? I don't want to piss anybody off politically because this isn't a political show and I'm not trying to make this political. I Do you believe that they should start offering mandatory mental health, you know, counseling and stuff for anybody who, you know, serves in a war? I think they should. Yeah. Okay. You know, just fucking. <laughs> we, we can have five shows. On mental health. Oh, totally. Like, to be familiar. Totally. And we were, I mean, because we did talk about wanting to reach out to, you know, Scott again and talk about, you know, the mental health crisis in our nation, too. Remember? You and I talked right, about right, that right. briefly. Yeah. But um, I do. I think that not only should it be, and it should be free to all returning servicemen. Like, free. No ifs, ands, or buts. They shouldn't have to be put on a waiting list at the VA. None of that crap. Because you and I both know that that's what happens. Uh-huh. They say, hey, often. I have a problem. They're put on a waiting list. And then five years down the road, they say, oh, you know what? You finally are at the top of the list. And they're like dead or, you know, in a gutter somewhere high on crack or something, you know. I'm high on crack. Oh, my God. I knew I shouldn't use that word. Butt crack. I, knew you were, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, but thank God and you were there. And your mom's. I, I am so happy she has Snapchat. Melissa, I hate you. <sighs> I'm just saying. Just saying your mom Melissa, I'm calling you out. I hate you. Your I mom hate, sends I me hate a lot you, of Melissa. pictures. Don't a make me say your middle name, Melissa. I will. Anyways. So anyways, that's what I have with that. Do you have anything you want to say about the whole, ins- you know, what we, re- what we know about him? Nah. Okay. You're not very talkative right now. I kind of feel like I'm talking to myself, and you know I hate that. I'm sorry. Were you saying something? <sighs> No. <laughs> I'm just out of it. I need more sleep. Woosa. Need to have a lot more sleep. I'm fucking tired as fuck. I know. I'm gonna take a nap and then take a shower and put on my makeup. You know, it takes me two hours to do that. So I can't see why you put on too much of it, man. Less is more. Be looking like I don't put on too much. I blend it and I enhance that. One time I fucked up and didn't have time to change it. And I told you I fucked it up, but I was mad at myself. Be coming in the venue looking like Bozo the Clown. Shut up. And then last the last time you're like, damn, that looks good. I know it does. The when big I big floppy shoes and your fucking red clown. When nose. I take my time and it takes me two hours, it looks spot on. When I rush and I fuck it up, it looks like shit. And I, I know it does. I got some spray paint cans. We can make that happen in, in like, you know, like 20 minutes or less. Jendal, tell him my makeup's on point. She knows. You She's scared her. Uh-uh, Jendal loves me. You scare, you, you scare my dog. 
<laughs> Jen Dell's not a oh wink her dog yeah no my other dog not oh. Jen Dolls I thought you meant Jen Doll's dog no my dog oh not Jen Doll or her dog God damn it probably scared Jen Doll too whatever goodbye Scott yeah. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Interact with us a little bit and check out our merch store, because Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast. They're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. And we'll see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye.